0: Well, it's good to be here today, as I am every week. Um, Kevin relented and let me share with you today. Uh, No, actually, this was because it's Pastor Appreciation Sunday, so he gets a week off. Oh, not really. Okay, that's a joke. But give him a hand, okay? Uh, We're so thankful for Kevin. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to say that to him and his family, uh, share with that idea today with them. So... But uh, it's really a privilege to share with you, Uh, we're in the book of Acts. We've been in a series called Church on Mission, and we've seen some really incredible things happen as we have journeyed through the first four chapters. Uh, The Spirit has empowered the apostles to do some amazing miracles, and we've seen not only healings, but also powerful preaching, and seen thousands of lives actually be changed in the book of Acts, just in chapters one through four. If you think about Acts one through four, it's really a pretty great picture of the early church. It's like they're on their honeymoon. And wouldn't that be nice, just to always be on your honeymoon? But life doesn't work like that. The way life works is, there's some pretty great things that happen as life goes on, but there's also some pretty tough things that happen. So far, in Acts one through four, Mostly great things have happened except for the persecution of the apostles. And even that was a good thing because it led to more sharing about Jesus Christ. But in our lives, uh, when things go wrong, sometimes things that we cause, sometimes things that just happen to us, when we see those things, uh, we have to figure out how we're going to really deal with that. And the same thing is true in Acts The book of Acts, as we go through, we see 1 through 4, a great experience, and then chapter 5 happens. If you're in community groups, if you're in one of those groups that's gotten to chapter 5 already, you've already thought about this really difficult story that we see in Acts chapter 5. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And just to give a quick summary, we're going to read it in just a moment, but just a quick summary is Ananias and Sapphira make a deal between themselves that's hidden from the early church community. And as a result of that, they are called out by the Apostle Peter and they both drop dead at his feet. So, that's the assignment that I get to share with you about today, and so we're going to work through that, so uh, don't jump to any conclusions yet about the way God is, okay? We're going to talk about that, and we're going to see why this happens. So, if you would do this, if you would uh, turn to Acts 5, 1 through 11, or look at it on the screen, let's read this together. In Acts 5, 1 through 11, it says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property... However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why then have you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but you have lied to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came upon all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. Pretty simple. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? She said, yes, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of God? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. Wow. That's right there in the Bible. Now, people that say the Bible isn't true, that it's just a bunch of fairy tales or myths, they forget that stories like this are in the Bible. This could be like a really negative thing for somebody who's trying to say the Bible is a great great, uh, word of God and all of those things because it doesn't really seem to present things in a great light there. But the reality is we've seen the presence of God moving in Acts 1 through 4 and God hasn't stopped working yet. The reality of this is as we see this great fear fall upon the church, we see two other demonstrations of God's power that happen in this chapter. The chapter is 42 verses long, and we're not going to look at all of them in detail, but two other little vignettes, signs and wonders, these first 11 verses, we see that the apostles are continuing to do great signs and wonders, and as they do, many people are healed. Another demonstration of God's power. And then in 17 through 42, we see that the angel of God comes and frees the apostles from jail after the Jewish leaders had thrown them in jail. And so we see three expressions of God's power. Not just of God's love, but expressions of God's power. And we see, though, with that, there's various responses that happen. Responses that are some good and some that are not so good. They are are the wrong responses to this power of God. But what we really see is that God in his Holy Spirit is very present in this chapter in all kinds of ways. Here's the question for us today. When God shows up in our lives, he's always here. But when God shows up in our lives, how do we respond? Do we respond in ways like the church did Do we respond like the Jewish leaders did? How do we personally respond to God? A bigger question is, how should we respond? You know, it's really easy just to hear the message and then to go our way as if nothing had happened. Many years ago, in a Josh McDowell book, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I saw this sign. It's going to be on the screen here in just a second. That's not it. Back one, back one. There it is. How do you read that? There's two ways to read it, right? God is nowhere or God is now here. How do you read it? It's kind of like that picture of the, you know, woman, you know, you see that. But it's that idea. Is, Is God here right now or is God nowhere to you right now? Many claim Christ, they go to church, they read their Bible, they do good deeds, but at the end of the day, many times, we are like practical atheists. We live as if God is not really here, even though He is very present. And there's a quote that, you can go to the quote now, <laughs> as, as Craig Gay, a guy that wrote a book that was called, um, I'm not seeing the book here, Uh, sorry, Uh, The Way of the Modern World. That's the book. Okay, but he wrote this in his book. The problem isn't atheism. In fact, a red-blooded atheist is hard to find. The problem, he said, is practical atheism. It's not that people do not believe in God. It's that they live as if God is largely irrelevant. That's what secularism does to us. It doesn't disprove our faith. It dismisses it. It makes faith an issue of personal, private belief, disconnected from the outside world. Now, we sing the song Waymaker often here in the church. And Waymaker says, even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. Sometimes God becomes like wallpaper to us. He's there, but we just never notice. At other times, God is like the sun. When you get out in the sun on a hot day, in hot's relative term, we feel like it's hot now in the middle of the day. It was really hot two months ago. But when we get out there in the sun, we feel the sun, right? And sometimes we wait for God to show up like that in our lives before we acknowledge His presence. But I want us to think today what it really means to live in the presence of God. The right way to respond to the presence of God I believe, is this. It's in wholehearted submission to Him. God is always present. We worship God in every single activity of our lives. We either worship us as God or something else as God, or we worship the one true God by everything that we do. But when we respond to the presence of God in wholehearted submission to Him, I think in this passage in chapter 5, there are basically three things that should characterize our lives. The first thing is this. First of all, when we live in God's presence, when we are aware of His presence, we should respect and fear God. Now, that's what we see at the beginning of chapter 5. None of us would disagree that Ananias and Sapphira should have respected and feared God. They should have responded in a different way because God was there. And we're going to see why it made such a difference to God and why he did uh, respond to them in the way that he did. But we also see in verses 12 through 16 that the people there, as the apostles are continuing to do signs and wonders, that they also respond in a different way. The reality is this, is that we should respect and fear God when we are wholeheartedly submitted to him. But the question is, what does that mean? Because so many of us have been... Wounded by this God that we feel like is very harsh and we don't understand why God will allow certain things to happen And so instead of fearing God in the right way, which would be a healthy respect for God We fear God as someone who is always out to get us Kind of like the celestial policeman, you know Or the judge with the gavel ready to bring down the judgment. That's how we see God Well, we see a couple of things in these two instances we see an unhealthy approach to God, which is not just what I was speaking about. There's another unhealthy approach to fearing God, which is this. It's not fearing God enough. It's easy to overlook that. We say, today we talk a lot about the love of God, as we should. But it's easy to overlook the fact that there is an appropriate amount of fear of God that we should have. Ananias and Sapphira is an illustration of this when they fall to their feet dead because they have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, the scary thing about this is that we could do that, right? That's what makes this so difficult, is it didn't seem like what they did was all that bad. I mean, they made a deal that they would sell their land and give some of the proceeds to the church and keep the rest for themselves. As we know, the problem is, is that they lied to the Holy Spirit by doing that. They really acted as if God was not there. Like they were just doing this in a human situation. But God had obviously shown up there. The backstory of this is that the early church was very generous. As Kevin shared with us last week from Acts 4, at the end of the chapter, Barnabas, who's called the Son of Encouragement, Barnabas was a very generous man, as it seemed almost everyone else was in the church. He sold land and gave the proceeds to the apostles, no strings attached, because there were needs in the early church. Probably other people did that. Probably he got a little recognition for that. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is this, is that it was a stark contrast to what Ananias and Sapphira did. What Ananias and Sapphira did was they kept some of it back for themselves because they were greedy for that money that they kept back. You know, Peter said, while you had it, you didn't have to decide you're going to give it all to the church. You could have just said you're going to give some of it and let us know that. But you tried to do it in a way that was underhanded and it illustrated the greed that they had as it often does for us. This is not a sermon on giving, so we're not going to go there. But you can make the application. God wants us to give from a generous heart. He doesn't want us to give partial giving so that we can act like we did something really great. He wants us to give out of the generosity of our heart because of the generosity of his heart. It says in Second Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 that we who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. Let each one give as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or of compulsion Because God loves a cheerful, a hilarious, which is the word, giver. God loves a cheerful giver. This is what he wanted Ananias and Sapphira to do. But their problem was they had this God called greed, which Colossians 3.5 tells us is really just idolatry. But greed really has another God. Greed really has the God of self. Because I want it, and I want to do what I want to with it, and anybody that tells me anything different, I don't want to listen to them. I don't want to do what they say. In uh, my utmost for his highest, some of you may read that, Oswald Chambers this week in, uh, on Tuesday on that devotional guide that day, he said this, he said, The nature of sin is not immorality and wrongdoing, but the nature of self-realization, which leads us to say, I am my own God. This nature may exhibit itself in proper morality or improper immorality, but it always has a common basis, my claim to my right to myself. You see, here's the thing. You can do some things that are very proper and very moral, and they're not any different in God's eyes than improper things that are immoral because you did it because you chose to do it without consulting God at all. And that's what Oswald Chambers is saying He's saying that this very thing that they did of giving a little bit of that, that didn't impress God a bit because they were not giving it out of a generous heart, out of a heart of love in response to his generosity. They were giving it because they had a right to do with it as they wanted to do, excuse me, to do with it. And so this is what we have to understand today. We have to understand that when we get God's blessings, God gives them as pass-through blessings. They're not blessings that are terminal with us. Even with Abraham, he says, I will make you a blessing to the whole world. I will bless you greatly, but I will make you a blessing to the whole world. And so this is what we see. We see that God wants us to bless other people by the blessings that he gives to us. We don't get to make the choice on that. He's already decided in advance for us. We just need to go along with what he says. But also this story about Ananias and Sapphira. also contrasts the transparency of the early church with the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. I really don't see the greed as as big a deal as their hypocrisy. You know, people always say, you know, I'd go to church if it wasn't for the hypocrites there, right? Raise your hand. No, don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, we are hypocrites. That's the way it works. But, you know, hypocrites are everywhere, But the reality is, God hates hypocrisy even more than we hate hypocrisy. One of the reasons is, for that very reason, because it hurts His church. People on the outside look at it and they say, there's all kinds of people in there that look good Monday through Saturday, and on Sunday, they uh, they look bad on Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday, they look great. I was raised in Southern Baptist Church, so I can testify to that, okay? Uh, And I'm not putting down the Southern Baptist Church. But I'm just saying, this is the way people are. We want people to think everything's great, but the reality is that things aren't always that great. But God hates that. And so, as a result of their hypocrisy, it cost them their lives. But here's what it was. It wasn't just this character trait called hypocrisy. Peter called out exactly what it was. It was lying to the Holy Spirit. When I pose as someone that I'm not in order to get God's, others' approval and ultimately thinking I can get God's approval, we might fake out people, but we won't fake out God. God knows what's going on. And so God said to Peter, that's not okay. And Peter called it out and they dropped dead at his feet. You see, God saw this as an insult to His Spirit. It was an insult to the Holy Spirit. They lied to Him, and God will not allow the Spirit of grace to be insulted like that. Jesus Himself said that blasphemy or speaking against the Holy Spirit was the only unforgivable sin when the Spirit of God speaks to our heart and we reject that. So God hates those kinds of things. God also hates the injustice and abuse that hypocrisy causes. When we are around hypocrites, we actually feel like we're being manipulated once we discover who they are. There's been a lot of celebrity pastors and ministry leaders over the last few years that have been called out. It's become obvious that they were not living the life that they portrayed on the outside. And what this has done, this has abused and manipulated and taken advantage of a lot of people. And close to that, and many of you I'm sure in this room have experienced this, is that hypocrisy destroys the unity of the church as as well. In other words, when I am around hypocrites in the church and I discover that you're not who I thought you were, then it hurts my trust of everyone in the church. If you have had someone that you were very close to in ministry, and then suddenly they did something that was really wrong, okay? And you realize they've been doing this for a while, then suddenly you're like, well, I wonder what that person that I think so much of right now, I wonder what they're doing. And I wonder what that person in my community group that I feel like has been really honest and talked about how their life is going, I wonder how they are really doing. And so you start really mistrusting people kind of in a wholesale fashion. This is what a lot of people do. People decide that people aren't trustworthy, therefore they're not going to trust people and they isolate and they try to do life on their own. That doesn't work. God designed us for community, community that includes accountability, community that includes encouragement and community that is based on trust. I encourage you to be in a community group so you can have that kind of trust and transparency. But make no mistake, we are all susceptible to what Ananias and Sapphira did. We are all susceptible to wanting to get the good part without going through the journey to get there. They should have given it all or they should have given none or they should have said what they did. They shouldn't have done it in a way that made people think they were someone that they were not. So they Their response to the fear of God was an unhealthy response in this way. It was unhealthy because they didn't fear God enough. They didn't really think God would notice or that God would care. Ultimately, it was a lack of understanding of God's character. Because God is holy, He has to respond to things like that. Now, we don't know where the limit is. We don't know why God responds this way at this time, versus other times. But I know from my own personal experience that there have been things in my life that I didn't think were that big a deal, and they got a pretty good consequence from God. And other times, it seemed like, you know, I should have had something happen to me. And nothing happened, right? We don't know. But what we do know is this, is that God is holy, and God will respond to that. And so, we do need to fear God in an appropriate way. For example, if we don't fear God and His wrath, if we don't know Jesus, then we're making a mistake. One of the songs that we sang said, when you have Jesus in your life and He has paid the price of your sins, you no longer need to fear that wrath of God. John three thirty six said it like this, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Sometimes we want to leave that out today. Well, God's never like that. No, God is like that because God has character. When someone violates your character, you deal with it. When you violate God's character, he deals with it. But here's the good news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Because Jesus has paid the price, we don't have to experience the consequences of God's wrath. God actually made a solution for us where we don't have to live under that kind of wrath. And you see, this is sometimes the second part of the unhealthy response is that we don't fear God too little like Ananias and Sapphira. We actually fear God too much, forgetting what He's done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many people I've run into that are so afraid of God. They are so afraid that if they don't do the right thing all the time, every day, the other shoe is going to drop. You can't live that way. You cannot live good enough to keep God from dropping the other shoe if that's a conception that you have of God. Jesus Christ took the pain and the penalty of our sin. And so when you put your faith in Christ, that's not the kind of fear of God that you should have. In First Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, we were not appointed for God's wrath, but we were appointed for salvation once we put our faith in God, our faith in Jesus. And then in the verse that was on the screen earlier in the morning, it says there's no fear in love because love involves punishment. And the one who fears has not been perfected in love. We love him because he first loved us. You see, if I understand that God loved me first and that if I respond to him in love, I don't have to fear him because the wrath of God has been taken out on Jesus. And we are not destined for wrath. We are destined for salvation. God will, because he loves us, he will root out bad behavior and bad character in our lives because he wants us to be His children, He wants us to be able to share in His holiness, as it says in Hebrews 12. God wants to have that fellowship with us, so He's going to deal with that. But we should not be afraid of that. What we should do is believe in Him and take the healthy approach of knowing that His love will take care of those things and that He has us on the path. And that as He continues to work in our life and grow us up into who He wants us to be, that he will never allow anything to be so great in our lives that it will destroy us as long as we continue to walk with him. Now, the healthy approach to the fear of God along with that is what we see in verses 14 through 16. It says in in 14 14 through 16, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women, as a result, they would carry the sick on, into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came from all of the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The interesting thing is when the apostles were doing these signs and wonders, many of those people, it says in verse 13, were afraid to join them. Because as we've been talking about, they didn't understand an appropriate fear of God. They feared Him too much. But those who believed, this is the healthy response, when you believe in God, when you have put your faith in Jesus, then you get to participate in His blessings. You get to not only walk with Him, but you get to receive His blessings of healing and encouragement and comfort and fellowship and all of the many things that God wants to bring into your life. Unfortunately, many times we don't walk that way. As I said earlier, we walk in such a fashion that says, I'm not good enough for God. He couldn't love me. He may love everyone else, but he couldn't love me. The author, Brendan Manning, tells a story of an Irish priest who was doing a walking tour of his rural parish and as he was doing that walking tour he walked across a bridge and there was a an old man that was there just an old peasant man that was there kneeling and praying by the side of the road on that bridge and he stopped and this priest said you must love God very much you must be very close to him says the peasant looked up at him stopped his prayers, and thought for a moment, and then he said this with a twinkle in his eye, yes, he's very fond of me. Manning said, the story goes, you must love God very much. You must be very close to him. He said, no, God is very fond of me. That's where it starts. We have to understand that we love God because he first loved us. And because he first loves us, and God is very fond of us, Manning said he developed a personal declaration in his life from that, I am the one Jesus loves. I am the one Jesus loves. Do you believe that? If you have put your faith in Christ, you are the one Jesus loves. Not everyone else but me, because you don't know my life, but yes, You are the one Jesus loves. So when we live in God's presence, we should have an appropriate fear and respect of God. But also when we live in his presence, we are aware of that presence. We see in the following verses to the end of the chapter is that we should refuse to fight God. We should refuse to fight God. You may have had a period in your life when you were fighting God. I've had one of those periods that's very clear And probably many times in my life when I was really fighting what God was wanting to do in my life. But the Jewish leaders really typify the people and those that really decide they're going to fight God. Because here's what the Jewish leaders did. They got very angry and in a rage about the apostles, about their preaching. And about all of these signs that were uh, being done at the hands of the apostles. They didn't respect God or fear him. Instead, they decided to, to fight him. And they did this in a couple of ways. One is just the rank and file of the Sanhedrin council, which was the ruling council of the Jews. It says in verses 17 and 18, this was their response. It says, then the high priest rose up and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail." Here's what they did. They were so filled with jealousy that they had to imprison the apostles. Now, here's the deal. We've already seen a couple of times this doesn't work. You imprison the apostles, God lets them out of jail. Okay, that's what works, okay? You can't fight God. Let's just get that clear, okay? When you do, it's not going to work out well. But this is what they did. And in fact, they put them into a public jail uh, probably to humiliate them. But it says that their hearts were filled with jealousy. This word filled is kind of a catchword that's been in the book of Acts. Started off in chapter 2, it said that the Holy Spirit filled the apostles and they began to preach. And then it says at the beginning of this chapter that Ananias and Sapphira were filled by Satan to lie to the Holy Spirit. Their hearts were filled to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then here it says that these leaders had their hearts hearts filled with jealousy. Here's the truth that I believe God is bringing out through, through Luke, who wrote this uh, history. He's saying that we are going to be filled with something in our hearts. The question is, who or what is going to fill our hearts? These leaders were filled with jealousy, They were filled with jealousy because they saw someone else having power and they saw someone else getting attention and they didn't want anybody else to get attention besides them. They were about themselves and so they loved this illusion of control so much that they threw them into jail but they couldn't fight God because God is God. He's in control. You remember the story probably from the movie Rudy where the old priest that he's talking to there at Notre Dame, Father Kavanaugh, He says this to Rudy, he says, son, in 35 years of religious study, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. There is a God, and I'm not him. And that's what we know, because you can't fight God and win. And so we need to understand that we can't be neutral. We're either on God's side or we're on the other side. And this story really is a funny story as you read along in the chapter 5 in the second half of it. It's really a funny story because God, when they were thrown into prison, God sent an angel to release them, and he released them so quietly that the guards didn't even know that they were gone. And then when they tried to find them, they were all confused about where they might be. And then they found out that they were preaching in the temple square. I mean, they were there preaching, and everybody was listening to them. The very thing that they tried to stop didn't work. And so then they sent guards and politely asked them to come with them because they didn't want the anger of the people, you know? I mean, it's like none of this was working. And when they arrived, they confronted the apostles with disobeying the order to stop teaching, which they had done in the temple. And instead, what they had done is they had made these Jewish leaders responsible for the death of Jesus, which they were right? So, it was just a crazy story. And here's what Peter said in response, just to sum it up. He says, listen, you can say all you want to, but we must obey God rather than men. And this is still a truth that we have to live by. But Peter said, you don't intimidate us. God is the one that we fear, and we're going to obey him. And then this cut them to the quick when he said that, and they could only see blood. And they were ready to kill him at this point. And that's what usually happens. You know, when somebody disagrees with us and we can't win them over by words, then what we do is we power up on them. As James 4 says, that's the source of conflicts among us. We we have and we don't get, so we want to commit murder. And sometimes that is what happens, and sometimes it just feels like murder. That's what happens. But that's what we do. And they were going to get rid of the apostles by literally killing them. But there was another response that was less Uh, out there, less hostile, but it was just as bad. And it was the impersonal indifference of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, at the end of the chapter, said this basically. He says, calm down, guys. We don't really want to murder them. What we really want to see is if God is in this or not. What we want to find out is Just like these other couple of guys, there was a couple of them named Thutus and Judas of Galilee that had had a band of followers, and they led them, and they did nothing about it, and they got killed, and then their followers dispersed. He says, if we'll just take a note from that, maybe if this is not of God, it'll just disperse. But if it is of God, we don't want to be found fighting against God. Now, this sounds great. And, and basically, he talked them off the ledge, and they didn't do that, okay? This sounds great. What a great response. Here's the problem. Gamaliel wasn't a believer. It sounded good, but I would characterize this as impersonal indifference. Impersonal indifference. Most of us in this room are not gonna be outright hostile to God. Many more of us are more likely to say, yeah, that's true, but I'm not going to do anything about it. We take in the Bible, right? We read the Bible, we go to church, we do good things, those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't make any difference in our lives, we might as well be outright hostile to God because we're fighting against God. God is present here right now, and He wants to do work in our lives. We can do what we want to do. We can try to defy the truth of what God says in his word or we can go along with it. But here's the reality. Truth doesn't work that way. We either conform to the truth or we get crushed by the truth. That's what happens to us. The law of gravity, when you defy that because you want to fly, what do you find happening? Splat, right on the ground. That's what happens because you can't defy the law of gravity without getting hurt by the law of gravity. So we either adjust to the truth of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, or we are judged by that very truth. So when we are living in the presence of God, we must respect and fear God. But we must also refuse to fight God. And last, when we live in the presence of God, we must respond in faith to God. This is what we see throughout this passage. There were these bad responses but then there are some good responses and these are the ones that we want to take to heart. First of all, we see in verse 14 that there were many that did believe and because they believed, they were able to receive the blessings of God. You see, in this room today, if you will believe in Jesus Christ, you will get on the path of blessing. When you truly wholeheartedly submit to him, you will be on the path of his blessing just as these folks did when they believed and they received healing. So when we live in the presence of God, we must respond in faith to God if it makes any difference in our lives. But also, I want you to notice what happened with the apostles. When they responded in faith to God, they were simply obedient. What God through the angel, told them was, when he released them from jail, he says, go back out there and begin to preach and teach again. And I love the simplicity of this verse. It says in verse 21, hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Simple obedience. We do make it complicated, don't we? I mean, they could have easily said, yeah, but the last time we did that... You know, we got brought up before the council, they acted like they were, and we got, we got beaten the last time, and all of these things, and God said, to do it, and they simply did it. When God says to follow Him, simply follow Him. You know what will happen? That first step that you take, then God will let you know the next step you need to take, and the next step that you need to take. I don't know about you, but my problem is I want to work out the whole plan when I take the first step. God says, take one step of obedience, and I will come in by my spirit, and I will show you that next step, and on, and on, and on. And that's why Peter said we must obey God rather than men because obedience was the key to what they were doing because they feared and respected God in an appropriate way. They knew his love for them, and therefore, they followed him. But it says also that their simple obedience led to a third thing. And this simple obedience led to this, the confident sharing of the gospel with others. You know, you might think that because they had been persecuted, maybe people thought they don't really have anything to say to us because they got shut down by the Jewish leaders. But because they went back out there and began to share... Then they were brought back up before the council and they said, quit sharing that stuff. We told you not to share that. And they said, we have to obey God rather than men. Then what they did, the Jewish leaders took them, they flogged them, they beat them, and then they sent them out. Look what happened. It says in verse 41, after that happened, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully, On behalf of the name, every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's the deal. When they begin to do this house to house, and maybe that was like even houses that didn't believe in Jesus, right? It wasn't just the houses of the church. But when they begin to do this house to house, and people knew what had happened to them, they're like, wow, this stuff must be real. It's kind of like what happened with the apostles. When they walked with Jesus before he died, they were a bunch of scared little boys. When Jesus was raised from the dead, they became these powerhouses by the Holy Spirit. If nothing else, the very transformation of the apostles proves the truth of the resurrection because they would not have worshiped a dead Savior They wanted to worship a living God who had done what he said. And in the same way here, when we actually suffer for the cause of Christ and then people see us being joyful about that and they see us continuing on in our walk with Jesus, that is a powerful testimony to people. And the simple obedience that they had to continue to share led to the ability to confidently share the good news with many people in many places They would not be silenced because God was with them and they knew that he was bigger than those who were against them. Let's be realistic. We don't like it when people push back. We don't like it when people persecute us in various ways because we stand for Jesus. But the reality is, it's when we do actually stand for him in those moments, that's when we overcome the evil one. As it says in Revelation, they overcame him by their testimony as well as by the blood of the Lamb. Our testimony has tremendous power when it is out of the crucible of suffering and persecution. So don't let them silence you. Speaking to myself, don't let them silence me, Alan. (laughs) Okay, let's don't let them silence us. Let's speak our testimony for God and thus align ourselves with him So that no matter what happens, even if we suffer, we are on his side and we receive his blessings. So let me ask you today, how are you responding to life in the presence of God? God's here right now. You know what? When you walk out and get in your car, God's right there too if you know him. When you get on the road, it doesn't feel like it, but God's on the road too, right? Uh, When you get home, God's still there. We forget God's there. He becomes, as I said, wallpaper. But God is always there. He's always present in our lives. How are we responding to him today? Do we just respond to him that way on Sundays or do we do it all week long? He's here not to be afraid of, but he's here to have a healthy respect for as we put our faith in Jesus to give us those blessings that he wants to give to us. Fighting against him is futile. As the old Star Trek movie said, resistance is futile. Fighting against him is futile. And when you know the truth, but don't let it affect you like Gamaliel, it makes no difference in your life. So today, let's live the life that indicates that we believe we are living in the presence of God all of the time and glorify him because of that. So let me ask you three questions are on the screen. Three questions for you to answer. Do you fear God too little or do you fear him too much? Have you made your peace with God? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, you're under the wrath of God. That's not harsh because God gives you an offer of salvation if you would just put your faith in Christ. Or do you you fear him too much? You're still afraid of God even though you put your faith in Christ. He's taken the wrath for you. If you fear him too much, take that to God. He's your heavenly Father. He loves you. He's wise. He's committed as much to your good as he is to His glory. Are you fighting God today? Maybe this is the day you walked into church and you're like, "This is my last. This is my last chance. I'm giving God." And you're fighting God. If you'll give in to God, if you'll submit to God wholeheartedly, He will rush in. And take you by the hand just as he did the prodigal son. He will do that for you. Or are you like Gamaliel? Just simply ignoring God. You know the truth but it's making no difference in your life. Whatever's going on in your life today take that to God. Let's pray. Father we thank you for speaking your truth to us this morning. Lord we know you are a God who is Worthy of fear because you hold all the power, but you're a God who is worthy of worship because, Lord, you love us so much that you made a way for us to come to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who maybe for the first time realize they need to know you, that they have never put their faith in you, that they have not submitted to you, Lord, I pray today that this would be the day that they would take your hand and you would lead them the rest of the way. And Lord, for those who are here today that just somehow can't get over that barrier that they are not good enough and they're living in that shame, I pray that, Lord, today you would release them from that shame, not only in truth, but also in their spirit and in their emotions. And today they can receive the healing that you have for them. And Lord, for those of us today who just kind of go through the motions, don't mean to, but that's what we do. Lord, we ask you today that you would help us make it real, make you real in our lives, make you the center of our lives, of our attention, of our focus, and relate everything that we do, Lord, to you, because you are the one that is worthy of all of our respect and fear you are what everything revolves around. Lord, let us submit ourselves to you today and we pray it in the name of Jesus.